Chapter thirty five of the Fortunes of Glencore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fortunes of Glencore by Charles James Lever. Chapter thirty five Harcourt's Lodgings. When Harcourt had finished the reading of that letter we have presented in our last chapter, he naturally turned for information on the subject which principally interested him to the enclosure. It was a somewhat bulky packet, and, from its size, at once promised very full and ample details. As he opened it, however, he discovered it was in various handwritings but his surprise was further increased by the following heading in large letters in the top of a page sulphur question and beginning my lord by a reference to my despatch number four seventy eight you will perceive that the difficulties which the neapolitan government harcourt turned over the page it was all in the same strain tariffs treaties dues and duties occurred in every line three other documents of like nature accompanied this after which came a very ill-written scrawl on coarse paper entitled hints as to diet and daily exercise for his excellency's use the honest colonel who was not the quickest of men was some time before he succeeded in unravelling to his satisfaction the mystery before him and recognizing that the papers on his table had been destined for a different address while the letter of the princess had in all probability been despatched to the foreign office and was now either confounding or amusing the authorities in downing street while harcourt laughed over the blunder he derived no small gratification from thinking that nothing but great genius ever fell into these mistakes and was about to write off in this very spirit to upton when he suddenly bethought him that before an answer could arrive he himself would be far away on his journey to india i ask nothing said he that could be difficult to reply to it was plain enough too that i only wanted such information as he could have given me off-hand if i could but assure glencore that the boy was worthy of him that there was stuff to give good promise of future excellence that he was honorable and manly in all his dealings who knows what effect such assurance might have had there are days when it strikes me glencore would give half his fortune to have the youth beside him and be able to call him his own why he cannot does not do it is a mystery which i am unable to fathom he never gave me his confidence on this head indeed he gave me something like a rebuff one evening when he erroneously fancied that i wanted to probe the mysterious secret it shows how much he knows of my nature added he laughing why i'd rather carry a man's trunk or his portmanteau on my back than his family secrets in my heart i could rest and lay down my burden in the one case in the other there's never a moment of repose 
and now glencore is to be here this very day the ninth to learn my news the poor fellow comes up from wales just to talk over these matters and i have nothing to offer him but this blundering epistle ay here's the letter dear harcourt let me have a mutton-chop with you on the ninth and give me if you can the evening after it yours glencore a man must be ill for counsel and advice when he thinks of such aid as mine heaven knows i never was such a brilliant manager of my own fortunes that any one should trust his destinies in my hands well he shall have the mutton-chop and a good glass of old port after it and the evening or if he likes it the night shall be at his disposal and with this resolve harcourt having given orders for dinner at six issued forth to stroll down to his club and drop in at the horse guards and learn as much as he could of the passing events of the day meaning thereby the details of whatever regarded the army list and those who walk in scarlet attire it was about five o'clock of a dreary november afternoon that a hackney coach drew up at harcourt's lodgings in dover street and a tall and very sickly-looking man carrying his carpet-bag in one hand and a dressing-case in the other descended and entered the house mr massey sir said the colonel's servant as he ushered him in for such was the name glencore desired to be known by and the stranger nodded and throwing himself wearily down on a sofa seemed overcome with fatigue is your master out asked he at length yes sir but i expect him immediately dinner was ordered for six and he'll be back to dress half an hour before that time dinner for two half impatiently asked the other yes sir for two and all visitors in the evening denied admittance did your master say so yes sir out for every one glencore now covered his face with his hands and relapsed in silence at length he lifted his eyes till they fell upon a colored drawing over the chimney it was an officer in hussar uniform mounted on a splendid charger and seated with all the graceful ease of a consummate horseman this much alone he could perceive from where he lay and indolently raising himself on one arm he asked if it were a portrait of his master no sir of my master's colonel lord glencore when he commanded the eighth and was said to be the handsomest man in the service show it to me cried he eagerly and almost snatched the drawing from the other's hands he gazed at it intently and fixedly and his sallow cheek once reddened slightly as he continued to look that never was a likeness said he bitterly my master thinks it a wonderful resemblance sir not of what he is now of course but that was taken fifteen years ago or more and is he so changed since that asked the sick man plaintively so i hear sir he had a stroke of some kind or a fit of one sort or another brought on by fretting they took away his title i'm told 
they made out that he had no right to it, that he wasn't the real lord. But here's the colonel, sir. And almost as he spoke, Harcourt's step was on the stair. The next moment his hand was cordially clasped in that of his guest. I scarcely expected you before six, and how have you borne the journey? cried he, taking a seat beside the sofa. A gentle motion of the eyebrows gave a reply. Well, well, you'll be all right after the soup. Marcon, serve the dinner at once, I'll not dress, and mind, no admittance to anyone. You have heard from Upton? asked Glencore. Yes. And satisfactorily? asked he, more anxiously. Quite so, but you shall know all by and by. I have got mackerel for you. It was a favorite dish of yours long ago, and you shall taste such mutton as your Welsh mountains can't equal. I got the haunch from the Ardennes a week ago and kept it for you. I wish I deserved such generous fare, but I have only an invalid stomach, said Glencore, smiling faintly. You shall be reported well and fit for duty to-day, or my name is not George Harcourt. The strongest and toughest fellow that ever lived couldn't stand up against the united effects of low diet and low spirits. To act generously and think generously, you must live generously. Take plenty of exercise, breathe fresh air, and know what it is to be downright weary when you go to bed. Not bored, mark you, for that's another thing. Now here comes the soup, and you shall tell me whether Turtle be not the best restorative a man ever took after twelve hours of the road. Whether tempted by the fare, or anxious to gratify the hospitable wishes of his host, Glencore ate heartily, and drank what for his abstemious habit was freely and, so far as a more genial air and a more ready smile went, fully justified Harcourt's anticipations. "'By Jove, you're more like yourself than I have seen you this many a day,' said the colonel, as they drew their chairs toward the fire and sat with that now banished, but ever-to-be-regretted little spider-table that once emblemized after-dinner blessedness between them. This reminds one of long ago, Glencore, and I don't see why we cannot bring to the hour some of the cheerfulness that we once boasted. A faint, very faint smile, with more of sorrow than joy in it, was the other's only reply. Look at the thing this way, Glencore, said Harcourt eagerly. So long as a man has, either by his fortune or by his personal qualities, the means of benefiting others. There is a downright selfishness in stuffing himself up in his sorrow and saying to the world, My own griefs are enough for me. I'll take no care or share in yours. Now, there never was a fellow with less of this selfishness than you. Do not speak to me of what I was, my dear friend. There's not a plank of the old craft remaining. The name alone lingers, and even that will soon be extinct. So then, you still hold to this resolution? 
Shall I tell you what I think of it? Perhaps you had better not do so, said Glencore sternly. By Jove, then, I will just for that menace, said Harcourt. I said, this is vengeance on Glencore's part. To whom, sir, did you make this remark? To myself, of course. I never alluded to the matter to anyone. Never. So far, well, said Glencore solemnly, for, had you done so, we had never exchanged words again. My dear fellow, said Harcourt, laying his hand affectionately on the others, I can well imagine the price a sensitive nature like yours must pay for the friendship of one so little gifted with tact as I am. But remember always that there's this advantage in the intercourse you can afford to hear and bear things from a man of my stamp that would be outrageous from perhaps the lips of a brother. As Upton, in one of his bland moments, once said to me, Fellows like you, Harcourt, are the bitters of the human pharmacopoeia. Somewhat hard to take, but very wholesome when you're once swallowed. You are the best of the triad, and no great praise that either, muttered Glencore to himself. After a pause, he continued, It has not been from any distrust in your friendship, Harcourt, that I have not spoken to you before on this gloomy subject. I know well that you bear me more affection than any one of all those who call themselves my friends. But when a man is about to do that which never can meet approval from those who love him, he seeks no counsel, he invites no confidence. Like the gambler who risks all on a single throw, he makes his venture from the impulse of a secret, mysterious prompting within that whispers, with this, you are rescued or ruined. Advice, counsel, cried he in bitter mockery. Tell me, when have such ever alleviated the tortures of a painful malady? Have you ever heard that the writhings of the sick man were calmed by the honeyed words of his friends at his bedside, I... Here his voice became full and loud. I was burdened with a load too great for me to bear. It had bowed me to the earth, and all but crushed me. The sense of an unaccomplished vengeance was like a debt which, unrequited ere I died, sent me to my grave dishonored. Which of you all could tell me how to endure this? What shape could your philosophy assume? Then I guessed aright, broke in Harcourt. This was done in vengeance. I have no reckoning to render you, sir, said Glencore haughtily. For any confidence of mine, you are more indebted to my passion than to my inclination. I came up here to speak and confer with you about the boy whose guardianship you are unable to continue longer. Let us speak of that. Yes, said Harcourt, in his habitual tone of easy good humor. They are going to send me out to India again. I have had eighteen years of it already, 
but i have no parliamentary influence nor could i trace a fortieth cousinship with the house of lords but after all it might be worse now as to this lad what if i were to take him out with me this artist life that he seems to have adopted scarcely promises much let me see upton's letter said glencore gravely there it is but i must warn you that the really important part is wanting for instead of sending us as he promised the communication of his russian princess he has stuffed in a mass of papers intended for downing street and a lot of doctor's prescriptions for whose loss he is doubtless suffering martyrdom is this credible cried glencore there they are very eloquent about sulphur and certain refugees with long names and with some curious hints about spanish flies and the flesh-brush glencore flung down the papers in indignation and walked up and down the room without speaking i'd wager a trifle cried harcourt that madame what's-her-name's letter has gone to the foreign office in lieu of the despatches and if so they have certainly gained most by the whole transaction you have scarcely considered perhaps what publicity may thus be given to my private affairs said glencore who knows what this woman may have said what allusions her letter may contain very true i never did think of that muttered harcourt who knows what circumstances of my private history are now bandied about from desk to desk by flippant fools to be disseminated afterwards over europe by every courier cried he with increasing passion before harcourt could reply the servant entered and whispered a few words in his ear but you already denied me said harcourt you told him that i was from home yes sir but he said that his business was so important that he'd wait for your return if i could not say where he might find you this is his card harcourt took it and read major scaresby from naples what do you think glencore ought we to admit this gentleman it may be that this visit relates to what we have been speaking about scaresby scaresby i know the name muttered glencore to be sure there was a fellow that hung about florence and rome long ago and called himself scaresby an ill-tongued old scandalmonger people encouraged in a land where newspapers are not permitted he affects to have something very pressing to communicate perhaps it were better to have him up don't make me known to him then or let me have to talk to him said glencore throwing himself down on a sofa and let his visit be as brief as you can manage harcourt made a significant sign to his servant and the moment after the major was heard ascending the stairs very persistent of me you'll say colonel harcourt devilish tenacious of my intentions to force myself thus upon you said the major as he bustled into the room with a white leather bag in his hand but i promised upton i'd not lie down on a bed till i saw you 
all the apologies should come from my side major said harcourt as he handed him to a chair but the fact was that having an invalid friend with me quite incapable of seeing company and having matters of some importance to discuss with him just so broke in scaresby and if it were not that i had given a very strong pledge to upton i'd have given my message to your servant and gone off to my hotel but he laid great stress on my seeing you and obtaining certain papers which if i understand aright have reached you in mistake being meant for the minister at downing street here's his own note however which will explain all it ran thus dear h so i find that some of the despatches have got into your enclosure instead of that on his majesty's service i therefore send off the insupportable old boar who will deliver this to rescue them and convey them to their fitting destination the extraordinaries will be burdened to some fifty or sixty pounds for it but they very rarely are expended so profitably as in getting rid of an intolerable nuisance give him all the things therefore and pack him off to downing street i'm far more uneasy however about some prescriptions which i suspect are along with them one a lotion for the cervical vertebrae of invaluable activity which you may take a copy of but strictly on honor for your own use only scaresby will obtain the princess's letter and hand it to you it is certain not to have been opened at f o as they never read anything not alluded to in their private correspondence this blunder has done me a deal of harm my nerves are not in a state to stand such shocks and though in fact you are not the culpable party i cannot entirely acquit you for having in part occasioned it harcourt laughed good-humouredly at this and continued if you care for it old s will give you all the last gossip from these parts and be the channel of yours to me but don't dine him he's not worth a dinner he'll only repay sherry and soda-water and one of those execrable cheroots you used to be famed for amongst the recipes let me recommend you an admirable tonic the principal ingredient in which is the oil of the starfish it will probably produce nausea vertigo and even fainting for a week or two but these symptoms decline at last and except violent hiccup no other inconvenience remains try it at all events yours ever h u while harcourt perused this short epistle scaresby on the invitation of his host had helped himself frankly to the madeira and a plate of devilled biscuits beside it giving from time to time oblique glances towards the dark corner of the room where glencore lay apparently asleep i hope upton's letter justifies my insistence colonel he certainly gave me to understand that the case was a pressing one said scaresby quite so major scaresby and i have only to reiterate my excuses for having denied myself to you 
but you are aware of the reason and he glanced towards where glencore was lying very excellent fellow upton said the major sipping his wine but very what shall i call it eccentric very odd not like any one else you know in the way he does things i happened to be one of his guests the other day he had detained us above an hour waiting dinner when he came in all flurried and excited and turning to me said scaresby have you any objection to a trip to england at his majesty's expense and as i replied none whatever indeed it would suit my book to perfection just now well then said he get your traps together and be here within an hour i'll have all in readiness for you i did not much fancy starting off in this fashion and without my dinner too but egad he's one of those fellows that don't stand parlaying and so i just took him at his word and here i am i take it the matter must be a very emergent one eh it is clear sir horace upton thought so said harcourt rather amused than offended by the other's curiosity there's a woman in it somehow i'll be bound eh harcourt laughed heartily at this sally and pushed the decanter toward his guest not that i'd give sixpence to know every syllable of the whole transaction said scaresby a man that has passed as i have the last twenty-five years of his life between rome florence and naples has devilish little to learn of what the world calls scandal i suppose you must indeed possess a wide experience said harcourt not a man in europe sir could tell you as many dark passages of good society i kept a kind of book once a record of fashionable delinquencies but i had to give it up it took me half my day to chronicle even the passing events and then my memory grew so retentive by practice i didn't want the reference but could give you date and name and place for every incident that has scandalized the world for the last quarter of the century and do you still possess this wonderful gift major pretty well not perhaps to the same extent i once did you see colonel harcourt here his voice became low and confidential some twenty or indeed fifteen years back it was only persons of actual condition that permitted themselves the liberty to do these things but hang it sir now you have your middle-class folk as profligate as their betters jones or smith or thompson runs away with his neighbor's wife cheats at cards and forges his friend's name just as if he had the best blood in his veins and fourteen quarterings on his escutcheon what memory then i ask you could retain all of the shortcomings of these people but i'd really not trouble my head with such ignoble delinquents said harcourt nor do i sir save when as will sometimes happen they have a footing with one leg at least in good society for in the present state of the world a woman with a pretty face and a man with a knowledge of horseflesh may move in any circle they please 
you're a severe censor of the age we live in i see said harcourt smiling at the same time the offences could scarcely give you much uneasiness or you'd not take up your residence where they most abound if you want to destroy tigers you must frequent the jungles said scaresby with one of his heartiest laughs say rather if you have the vulture's appetite you must go where there is carrion cried glencore with a voice to which passion lent a savage vehemence eh ha very good devilish smart of your sick friend pray present me to him said scaresby rising no no never mind him whispered harcourt pressing him down into a seat at some other time perhaps he is nervous and irritable conversation fatigues him too egad that was neatly said though i hope i shall not forget it one envies these sick fellows sometimes the venom they get from bad health but i am forgetting myself in the pleasures of your society added he rising from the table as he finished off the last glass in the decanter i shall call at downing street to-morrow for that letter of upton's and with your permission will deposit it in your hands afterwards harcourt accompanied him to the door with thanks profuse indeed was he in his recognitions desiring to get him clear off the ground before any further allusions on his part or rejoinders from glencore might involve them all in new complications i know that fellow well cried glencore almost ere the door closed on him he is just what i remember him some twenty years ago dressed up in the cast-off vices of his betters he has passed for a man of fashion amongst his own set while he is regarded as a wit by those who mistake malevolence for humor i ask no other test of a society than that such a man is endured in it i sometimes suspect said harcourt that the world never believes these fellows to be as ill-natured as then tongues bespeak them you are wrong george the world knows them well the estimation they are held in is for the reflective flattery by which each listener to their sarcasm soothes his own conscience as he says i could be just as bitter if i consented to be as bad i cannot at all account for upton's endurance of such a man said harcourt as there are men who fancy that they strengthen their animal system by braving every extreme of climate so upton imagines that he invigorates his morale by associating with all kinds and descriptions of people and there is no doubt that in doing so he extends the sphere of his knowledge of mankind after all muttered he with a sigh it's only learning the geography of a land too unhealthy to live in glencore arose as he said this and with a nod of leave-taking retired to his room End of chapter 35